get started. Um, today's guest is uh, someone that I have the pleasure to call uh, a colleague, a mentor, uh, and good friend, the wonderful Manuel Heiklinger. Um, Manuel has held recruiting and uh, people leadership positions at places like Deloitte, HSBC, and of course, LinkedIn, which is where he and I had the great pleasure of sitting side by side for two years. Um, uh, he's now, of course, the Director of Recruiting and People and Talent uh, for leading industrial internet of things company, Samsara. Uh, the company has over 1,500 employees, $530 million in funding, and 15,000 customers. So you can say they're doing okay. Manuel, welcome. This has been a long time coming. Very exciting. <laughs> thank you so much for the kind introduction, Marissa. Glad to be here. Yes, thank you. And it's all true. I didn't even lie a little <laughs> bit for that one. <laughs> I'm sure that many of the people who are listening know you and, and, of course, your reputation really well. But for those who don't, tell us a little bit about your story. Have you always been in talent and, and people leadership roles? <laughs> uh, no, and I, I would always I would always say people who tell you that that was their dream job from very early on that they're usually lying. I don't. I think most of us in talent acquisition or recruiting or in in that function we kind of fell into it at some point. I actually um I always tell a story when I was four years old I wanted to be a baker, so that was my my dream uh, my dream job when I was four and um actually probably for all the wrong reasons because my main reason for becoming a baker was because you can get up early. And I was an early riser at that time. And I, I said to my grandparents, at a bakery, you're so lucky you can get up at three o'clock every morning. They were just looking at me like, what are you talking about? Now, that went out of the window. Then I had a couple of other, I wanted to become a journalist. I wanted to become a social worker and then kind of studied economics and had my first internship in, in a company, helping them with their talent or with their um, employer brand. And that was in 2000, and gosh, 2004. And then fell into recruitment, joined a recruitment agency and, and went from there. But I have to say, um, you probably fell into these, um, like something like recruitment by chance, but I think the, what made me stay was just that I find it's a very exciting field because you can actually impact the business so much. Because mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in most companies, if they're honest to themselves, I know LinkedIn says talent is their number one operating priority. I think most companies understand it. Most companies I worked for, like Deloitte and also Nelson mm -hmm. Sara, understand that the, the yes, there is some sort of technology and um, intellectual property they have, but actually their people are the, the main reason why they are um, successful or, or they might be failing. And so actually having, being at the core of that is 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 uh, very exciting. And I think that's what excites me about being in that function and now being even broader, more responsible for, um, for the EMEA um, region as a, as a people leader. I mean, let's face it, you and I have both worked with some pretty, some pretty snazzy technology companies. As far as I'm aware, can't sell itself, doesn't build itself, doesn't iterate yeah. itself. And if you don't have great people there to, you know, market, to build the product, to, to iterate and, and grow and, and, uh, and uh, yeah, like get the message out there about how great your technology is, you're not going to get very far, <laughs> as far as I'm aware. Um, so today, and, and this was a bit of a learning for me, I've been doing some Googling recently about Samsara, <laughs> and I've learned that it is indeed a uh, Parfum Christian Dior, but it is also something else as well. Um, so tell us a little bit about what it's like to be the director of recruiting and people for EMEA at IoT leader Samsara. Yeah, it's it's a very interesting role because we um, because the the industry or Internet of Things is, is still I think fairly new in the sense that mm -hmm. it is not as established as new some of the me. other. I, I learned some stuff in the last twenty four hours reading yeah. about it. So yeah. 
Yeah, and when I when I actually, uh, to be fair, when they approached me first last year, and, and I had uh, I did the same as you, I was like obviously looking at LinkedIn, I was googling, I was looking at their website, and it, in layman terms, I think what what it does, what Internet of Things is, is basically it brings things that are offline online. So it kind of makes mm -hmm. it like in our case, we uh, help, for example, in our fleet business, we helping uh, anybody who has a vehicle big logistics companies and so forth that they can literally see every single of their vehicles in real time on a dashboard where they currently are. They can zoom in. They can literally see by the meter where this car is driving right. at the moment with this uh, truck. And that gives them a lot of data. And it, it helps them basically to make things safer. It helps them to make it more efficient uh, for the driver, but also for, for obviously anybody else involved. And, and it just gives, basically gives them the opportunity to be much more um, considerate about and more intentional about their business decisions. Because especially logistics, it's such a market that has been done like very old school. right now. Like yeah. it, it, it's keeping, keeping us all moving, keeping it's us all just, going. It is so important. And I think there's a lot of um, efficiencies you can drive. And, and we, we also, especially with COVID, we, we introduced, for example, new features now, checklists that are, automatically protocols that can run where drivers make sure that that um, when they hand over vehicles and everything is done in a safe way and that the company has the insurance that this has been completed and, and so forth. So there's a lot of like things we, we help in that sense. Um, so it's about safety, it's about efficiencies, um, and it's also, it's just about giving giving companies much more insights because of those data points we can offer them. And uh, mm -hmm. and I think that, so that, and I think that is just obviously the area we are in. So I think Internet of Things is, is 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 being talked about as one of those big future technologies where the next decade is basically being shaped with, and so I think from that perspective, it's super exciting uh, to be in the heart of the expansion here in Europe and basically leading uh, the EMEA operations from our people perspective. And I mean, for those people who don't know what the Internet of Things is or don't believe that it's happening, <laughs> um, I'm I'm ancient compared to most of the people <laughs> that I work with. And I can remember once upon a time, my mum saying to me, and I say once upon a time, it was this century, my mum saying to me, oh, as if your fridge would have a computer that would do the shopping, like do the shopping list for you. And you can buy that now. <laughs> like it's not even yeah. 20 years into this century and that exists. So if they can do that with sort of domestic technology, I can imagine that on the sort of more commercial and industrial front, like what you're working in, um, that, it, that it is, you know, a lot more revolutionary than you not having to write down your shopping list with a pen and paper. So um, yeah. it's an exciting industry to be in. And, and like you said before, you know, it doesn't matter how sexy the technology is. It doesn't matter, you know, if it's the latest version of this or, or that yeah. or the other, these little things we've got in our ears. <laughs> if you don't have people, you're not going to get very far. So where does your role come into sort of achieving that mission and vision of Samsara? Yeah, so I think especially because we're still a company that is, I mean, you mentioned our and, and, uh, our funding, so we're kind of Series F, so we are pre-IPO, and, and there's still a lot of things that need to be done, you know, like there's still a lot of processes mm -hmm. that need to be implemented, a lot of systems that we probably don't have 100% right yet. And and there's a lot of things I felt on the people side where we where we need to improve to give the business a better platform to actually grow and and scale. Mm -hmm. And I think um, our so the approach we we've taken for this year is we very closely link that to our three core culture principles, which are around mm. obsessing over customers, um, adopting a growth mindset, and building for the long term. So that's the kind of mm -hmm. three principles that the whole company is is striving towards. And what we're focusing currently for the next six to 12 months is 
so in a data space, for example, it's kind of, and I know we had the same conversation at LinkedIn when I started, like having data that people can trust in. Because it's always like HR seems to be always having the weakest data. Like it's always like people trust finance because they're the number guys. And when they bring certain figures to the table, everybody's listening. And then when you come in as an HR person and you bring your data and the data is not 100% correct, then you suddenly use credibility in like in a second. Mm -hmm. And so it's like getting getting to a point where we have uh, our data right so we can actually drive a lot of really interesting insights for the business and help them shape business decisions from an HR perspective is I think one it's, of the I mean things. doesn't it just make you cry that you know we first had this conversation what eight years ago when we I first know. started working six eight <laughs> sure. years ago and here we are like we still haven't learned to you know to, to trust our own numbers to do our, our, our best work on that it's uh, yeah one of my big yeah. frustrations with my team as well I, I totally yeah. sympathize and, and I think that the thing is, in defense of, of people operations on HR, is because we, our data comes from so many different sources, right? Usually you have a, an applicant tracking system, and then you have a, an HR system, and then you might have a system mm -hmm. for, for your, in, I don't know, for your head complaint, and, and, and that is in the mm -hmm. finance world. And so you have all these different systems, and I think it's just getting, getting a, a one source of truth is much more difficult to establish probably in, in that mm -hmm. sense because you, you drive so many different uh, systems and, and they drive different yeah. data points and I think Good that's point. what I found at least um, so that's definitely one area where we we want to heavily focus on especially because Samsara's culture uh, is very much around um, show me the data you know if I want to understand mm -hmm. if you have the right data points you can convince me to take certain actions but I want to understand the data points what is backing up your opinion basically mm -hmm. um, so that's why this is super important. And then I think the other one, again, it's a conversation we, I think we had we had a LinkedIn also for many years, is around <laughs> developing your leadership team, developing your le people leaders. I mean, I strongly believe every employee deserves a great manager. And I think that this is where lots of companies fail, and especially companies when they're in the early stages, when they're growing very fast. It's not always that you. It's sometimes you you promote people maybe too fast because you have to, or you promote people that you that don't have the experience straight away. Or and often you you promote your best person at their individual job to yeah. then be a manager of people and being the best salesperson by nature, or or the best recruiter doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be the best leader exactly. of people. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the thing where, yeah, and I think this is also where people come, people operations come in or HR to say, look, we need to craft career paths for people who don't want to be managers and they still need to exactly. feel they have a growth trajectory, they, they have a learning curve, they're getting, they're getting fairly paid and, and, and all these kind of mm -hmm. things, but they also need to be having this impression or that, that, um, recognition that it's not only about the, the bigger teams you lead the more important you are to the company you can be a single contributor and you can be super important and you can get the same development and growth and investment as a people leader of like 50 or 100 or 200 people but i think that's a, cha a big challenge yeah and i think it's also um yeah that's a big challenge and and especially in a even you're a fast scaling smaller company you don't have all of the bells and whistles yet you know we don't have a fully fledged out L&D function yet we don't have mm. uh, those kind of support systems and so there's much more reliance on yeah just like um peer-to-peer -peer learning and, and 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 those kind of things as well but I think that's one area we we realize we need to definitely um 
focus on because otherwise you're not getting sustainable business growth or scale. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about something that I know is yeah. a, a huge part of of what you do and and why you've been successful um, over the past. Because I'm just conscious of time and and that yeah. this morning as well. Um, it goes without saying. I mean, you you've run a talent acquisition function today. And, um, you know, you and I worked together when you were running the talent acquisition function for LinkedIn in EMEA. And I know you've worked across multiple geographies um, in the time that you've been you've been working in this kind of work. Um, it goes without saying, of course, that attracting people. And, and I really would love to hear what you say about this, particularly because it is so pertinent to what's going on at the moment in the world. Um, yeah. So attracting people from all walks of life should always be a priority for any talent acquisition team and for any leader um, and, and, you know, leadership team of any business. Um, tell us, um, you know, what advice, what guidance, what tips or tricks, you know, uh, here's, here's the platform. Tell us how you've been successful in, in leading teams with, with that mindset of inclusive recruiting. Yeah, yeah, no, sure. And, and thank you for that question because, I mean, it's not something is I've always been very passionate about and I think it's now more important than ever. And uh, mm-hmm. I think it's it's basically if you're not doing, if you're not inclusively recruiting or, or building diverse teams, I think you 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 might have just like give up your job because I think it's like, it's not an HR responsibility, it's actually a leadership responsibility. Mm-hmm. And maybe I start with, with the, the one sentence I hear, I heard so much, and like when I take a, you know, when you go into a, a meeting with a hiring manager, you take the brief and you ask them what they're looking for, and you get the sentence, oh, can you just hire me another Susan or another Peter or another, you know what? Can you just get me mm-hmm. another of because that person is great, and you just sit here and say like, no, no, I'm not going to hire you another Susan or another Peter because that's not the point, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. it's like I'm a gay guy, I, I know nothing about football, but I do mm-hmm. know. You don't need 11 goalkeepers, right? You need one. And and mm-hmm. you need different people with different skills. And you don't need the same person over and over again. So I think one one part of inclusive recruitment is, is maybe change the conversation, first of all, as a recruiter, and ask, what are you currently missing in your team? So not, not what is what is working well and what you want to replicate again, but what is missing? What skill set? What attributes? What That's kind of... That's how they uh, do a football team, isn't it? That yeah, they recruit exactly. the gap. They, they exactly. go get the expensive guy from Spain who represents yeah. what they don't have, not what they already have. Exactly. So, it's, Look so at I think you and I, football <laughs> analogies. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> anything can happen during lockdown. <laughs> who knows? I mean, I might even like talk about the offside rule in a second. But uh, no. <laughs> probably not. Um, <laughs> but I think it's. Um, I think that's the most that's the most that's the starting point, right? And then I think what lots of companies then do wrong is they first of all they you need to overcome this this kind of wrong perception that oh if you if you hire diversity or if you then you're basically compromising on something, you know? It's not about mm-hmm. you're not you're not lowering the bar if you like hire a diverse pool of talent or from a diverse pool of talent. You're actually just widening the gate of people coming into your company. Mm-hmm. And I think and the other thing, and I know you and me we had this conversation at LinkedIn also with numerous leaders is they need to give more time. It takes a bit more time to find diverse talent in the market for various mm-hmm. reasons, because it is not necessary that probably the first 20 people that apply to your job, it's not necessarily the first mm-hmm. 20 results you get on a LinkedIn search. And you need to look a bit harder and you need to be a bit more thorough. And the business needs to give you that time as, a, as an HR recruitment function to do that. And, mm-hmm. and then I think when you have all of that and you go into the actual process, I think there's lots of tactical steps. You, I mean, they're all, they're all being very well 
researched and talked about, but it's about the bias in the system. It's about setting yourself and your recruitment team targets and your hiring leaders for diversity on your long list and short list and tracking that and making sure you have a process where the panel actually is also diverse. So you're getting different perspectives and you're, you're not disregarding a candidate for, for, for a specific um, reason that might be discrimination or that might just be a bias that you're holding. Um, mm. And and I think just like removing obstacles, there's lots of, you know, why do people have to have a degree to do a sales role? Why do people need to come from a certain uh, background? background? You, 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 subs you basically unconsciously are discriminating probably a whole group of people just by looking only at a certain <laughs> section. I remember, I remember having a conversation with someone a while back, actually, um, uh, a good friend of mine who lives over in Paris, and we were talking about the yeah. education bar. Um, there's, there's a lot of there's a lot of people who went to Stanford and not all of them were awesome. And then there's a lot of people yeah. who went to much smaller colleges and you might find the top one, two or three people there, but just because of the name of the college or the university, you might disregard them. And actually they're significantly yeah. better than, you know, the middle of the range or even the bottom of the range at, at some of those bigger schools. And, you know, uh, again, using data to kind of track that and, and inform those decisions, I think, uh, can help a, a talent acquisition leader and ultimately function um, influence some of the leadership. Um, one yeah. thing that, that that I am personally um, uh, very committed to and very passionate about when it comes to leading my team is recognition. Um, mm. I think that you win. You, you what? I can't remember the exact cliche, but it's something about bees and honey and bees and vinegar. You get a lot more bees with honey than with vinegar, or something mm. along those lines. A spoonful of sugar and all that kind of thing. So. Um, Tell us a bit, you, you mentioned to me when we were speaking earlier this week that you guys had recently kicked off a peer-to-peer -peer, um, mm. awards program there at Samsara. What was the what was the kind of impetus to do that and, and how does it work and, and what has been, you know, perhaps some of the, the good the good outcomes from that? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we kicked off a program. We call it the OWL Awards because everything in Samsara is with an OWL. I know everything in LinkedIn was with an IN, and so we have the OWL Awards. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, so... Um, and I think it's important, like with recognition, it it was actually driven by feedback we got from our employee voice survey, right? So it was mm -hmm. people said they wanted to have more more ways to be recognized. And then when we listened a little bit more, we actually figured out it's not recognition for them didn't mean getting getting more money necessarily or getting or getting recognition by their by their managers only or or their customers, but actually just like these peer-to-peer -peer by their colleagues, just getting this kind of shout out for something they have done or being recognized by their peers, which they found very mm -hmm. valuable. And um, and so our team in Atlanta has done something, something similar and I spoke to them and we actually um, then adapted it for, for the EMEA region. And it was very simple. We basically said, look, we want to do like an award where by we have four categories and they're modeled alongside our culture. So the adaptive growth mm -hmm. mindset, social long-term and so forth. And the fourth one is for diamond level leadership. So for leaders only, but mm -hmm. also recognize model, role model leaders in the business, basically. Mm -hmm. And then we just, it's very simple. We basically just define those four categories, create a little uh, easy Google doc, send it out to the employees in EMEA and ask them just to pick their nominations. They could nominate as many people as they wanted. Just a little blurb why mm -hmm. this person deserves that award. And then we had a judging panel um, from the from the office. They looked at all of that. We came Did together. Did you play Simon Cowell on that judging panel? Were you the Simon Cowell? Yeah, I had my white tight T-shirt on. You know, <laughs> got the hair cut up. And, uh, 
It was very intense. We had we had some the first I remember the first award we we discussed. They were like very they were very split between two people, and it was very very big debate, which was great. And um and then in the end we, we picked winners, and they got announced in our town hall. We do a town hall every couple of weeks for EMEA specifically. Mm-hmm. So they got announced with big shout out with a few quotes. We also announced deliberately the runner ups, and we mm-hmm. also sent everybody who got a nomination the the quotes from their nominations afterwards with their manager and copy for that extra piece of recognition because you wanted yeah. to feel everybody is a winner. You're a winner regardless mm-hmm. if you got a nomination or if you actually got the award. Mm-hmm. Um, and then because it's COVID at the moment, we did everything virtually. So they didn't receive a trophy yet, but the idea is they get a trophy. Um, the idea is they get, we have this uh, recognition system here called Kazoo where you get points that you can then use for to buy stuff basically. So they get some points. Um, but what I found amazing was just during that town hall, that was the first town hall I had in like since I joined, where the comments literally blew up. When I announced those winners on the screen, and it was just me talking to the screen, and I saw the comments going one, two, three, four, like 70, 80, 90, and people were just like going mad, like crazy, hey, congrats, well done. So it was really, really great just to see that um that that energy and 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 people were really chuffed and they posted it on LinkedIn afterwards and yeah. So it was really, really and positive. And it's something that everybody can get involved in rather than yeah. this kind of hand of, you know, tapping on the shoulder from the management that, you know, gives out these fancy awards with no real kind of logic or understanding. And I really yeah. love what you said about sharing the comments and sharing the nomination reasons mm-hmm. with people afterwards because that in and of itself is is recognition. The fact that, you know, somebody took the time to write something about me and what I did, yeah. you know, that that. And, and also, like, from a, a leadership development, performance development perspective, you're acknowledging the behaviours that you want people to repeat and see more of exactly. in the business to, yeah. to kind of reinforce the positive rather than, yeah. you know, um, whacking people with a stick for the negative thing. So, um, yeah, it sounds like it's been a bit of a grassroots initiative, really, um, and something that you guys implemented relatively quickly. Any tips yeah. on how any of us listening or, or anybody who watches this afterwards can, can set up something similar? Yeah, I mean, I think it like one thing I probably add before I answer the question is like it's also yeah. we, we do we want to do it quarterly now, and um and it's actually and I know like my fellow Italians will love that it's very cost efficient because you actually <laughs> just give a few points and you you get this little trophy done and that's it right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think yeah, the tips is just you need to be intentional. Like first of all, listen to your employees. What's the problem you're gonna solve, right? If if you have a similar problem like us, then maybe a similar approach is great. If they have a different, if they want more recognition from their managers, maybe you should have an award that is more like done by the leadership team. If this is what mm-hmm. you, the problem you want to solve. But in, anyway, listen to your employees, number one, and then be very intentional about how you set them up. That is in line. I think it needs to be in line with your culture and your values as an organization mm-hmm. to reinforce that and create these role models for certain areas. And then I think it needs to be done in a transparent way so you have that credibility. So it can't be like, although we had a judging panel, it was very clear who was on the judging panel. Um, we were very clear about winner and runner-ups. And so I think that's important. And then, yeah, it's about the sharing piece as well. So share mm-hmm. any nomination, you know, is, is because it's, it's amazing and it costs you nothing. And it's like, I mean, people, I think we always underestimate how much we all grave positive reinforcement feedback recognition and how little we actually give it ourselves to others mm-hmm. and and i think it's a great reminder and a great mechanism especially in this season now where we all 
feeling a little bit vulnerable and we're all very kind of scattered around and you can it gives you that kind of purpose again as a team and brings the company together <laughs> pardon me i yeah. think um, you called out something that is so important we're so quick to point out to each other what's wrong you know yeah. when um, e e even if you think about something as simple as you get dressed to go out and you say to your your partner or your friend who you know what do you think of the outfit and straight away they'll go your hair's messy or your shoes don't match mm. your jeans or whatever it might be that all you we're always like by nature it seems and and perhaps it's a very british thing or, or possibly very Australian. I know certainly you and I have worked with Americans for a very long time. They tend to kind of always call out the positive things and, mm. and sometimes can appear a bit more kind of cheesy um, in that. And, and I think that's something we could definitely take from, um, from, from their culture and from, from the way that they work is to be a lot more intentional, a lot more deliberate. And, yeah. and it's not like a, you know, you shouldn't feel, uh, I say to, I've got a couple of people on my team, you know, who are very reluctant to toot their own horns. And mm. I'm like, well, if you don't, no one else will, you know. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and sometimes it's hard as managers to know what's going on in all of the different teams with all of the different people. So having a peer-to-peer -peer system where people can call each other out will often bring to the surface great behaviours or great celebrations that perhaps you and I or, or other leader people in the leadership team would never hear about otherwise. And yeah. um, and that's certainly something that, a, you know, is a, a knock-on benefit as well of these um, peer-to-peer type programs. Um, you mentioned lockdown. I mean, I hate talking about it. Um, my family are on the other side of the world and I'd have to go through nine months of quarantine to try and see my mother anytime soon. Um, so I'm trying to stay positive by, you know, watching <laughs> watching as much junk on television as I possibly can. Um, but you, I'm, I've no doubt, being the great intellect that you are, are probably doing something a little bit more um, inspirational, a little bit more intellectual than, than I've been doing. So... What have you been oh, doing during so. the lockdown? <laughs> during the lockdown, keep <laughs> busy. We, we have obviously been watching Tiger King. I mean, I think everybody should be watching Tiger King because it is just like it's a guilty pleasure. Um, but I actually got more into reading. I have to say, which I'm actually really pleased about because I I loved reading as a teenager and so on. And then it's like always finding the time. So I got into reading. Um, I'm not sure if I mentioned this to you before, but I have a little obsession with Princess Margaret. So I developed that like by reading her biography um, and, and, and there's a very interesting book from a very interesting lady herself, which is Lady in Waiting. So it's written by the, by the woman who was Princess Margaret's Lady in Waiting. And you mean um, this one? yes, this book, and it's just <laughs> insane. I mean, look at that hairpiece anyway, or whatever it is. Um, just, yes, it was scandalous yeah. at the time and scandalous now to read it and a yeah. bloody great read. So fully on yeah. board with that one. Give me a time machine. I would like go back to the 70s. I want to be at one of those parties. <laughs> in Mystique. She was always in Mystique, hanging out with all always. of these people. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. And Manuel, just to, just to finish up, is there any yeah. phrase or quote or philosophy or song lyric that you live by? Well, there's one quote uh, by Oscar Wilde, which it has served me very well over the years. And that's uh, simply, um, be yourself, everybody else is already taken. And, yeah. um, and I think that's, that's kind of my, 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 my theme. That's like what I give people as advice, as guidance when they go for interviews, when they, when they don't know what to do in a certain situation. It's like, well, just, you know, be yourself. Like there's, there's no other way around. And I think that's the, that has worked well, well for me. I'm not sure. That's my kind of theme, but um, mm -hmm. that's what I live by usually, yeah. One of my all-time favourite authors, a great film starring Stephen Fry, 
and um, and a quote that my mother first shared with me, I think, when I was about 12 years old and annoyed because I had curly hair and everybody else had straight hair. And I got that lecture about Oscar Wilde and, um, and you know, obviously he was a, a great poet, uh, a great, um, you know, great playwright, very, a great wit. And to quote another, you know, amazingly amazing person who's put so much wonderful intellect out there into the world, the phrase that I live by, of course, comes from the great philosopher um, from Detroit, Illinois, in the US, which is don't go for second best baby, put your love to the test. So, you know, <laughs> whichever one works for you, really, you know, no judgment here. Yeah, um, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, we, we've hit time, so I just want to say, um, I mean, as, as you guys may have heard, may have noticed, I could probably talk to Manuel all day and then some, um, whether it was about talent acquisition, uh, Michelin-starred restaurants or, or some of the plays that we've had the good fortune to see together, um, something we won't be doing anytime soon, unfortunately. No. We are, we, are, we are about to finish. Um, so it's been wonderful to talk to you again, Manuel, and to, to kind of reconnect on some of those things that I know you're incredibly passionate about and, um, and things that you've taught me a lot about in the time that we've known each other as well. Um, so fantastic um, examples. I think uh, things that you've mentioned, particularly the phrase that I'm going to take away today is inclusive recruiting isn't about lowering the bar. It's about widening the gate. And, you know, put that in quote marks, put it on a post-it note, strap it across your computer screen. And I think that's something that that as TA leaders and and TA professionals that we can share with the people that we're recruiting for. And I think it's such a a visual, such a simple way of articulating the importance of inclusive recruiting. So thank you. (laughs) 